1: TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, the TDN Podcast. Fantasy Podcast. With your hosts, Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians.
2: Welcome into the TDN Fantasy Podcast, Paige DeMakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. And listen, there has been absolutely no news that has happened since we last podcasted. Just uh, a huge retirement, an ACL injury. Uh, tons and tons of preseason takeaways because week three is the only week where you actually get to see a semblance of what the offense and defense might look like. Uh, we're going to get into all that. We're also going to get into some trends that have happened over the weekend for people drafting because if you are smart and you listen to this podcast, you haven't drafted yet. You are getting ready for your draft. You're going to draft this week. You're going to draft next week. You're going to draft this upcoming weekend because the reality is All of the things that happened this weekend have a huge impact on fantasy football and the NFL landscape in general. So Andrew Luck retired. We're not going to get into the, listen, the only, the only opportunity I want to give here is I know that Jake and Bruce have a very, very good relationship with Andrew. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to just talk about the reaction to it. Um, I obviously got into a fight with Doug Gottlieb. You can see that on Twitter uh listen the booing from the fans there's a lot to say and I have said a lot on social media Jake what are your thoughts on on Andrew retiring and, and how it was handled
1: yeah look God leads a jackass I normally like him but that whole take was absolutely absurd I just want to wish him the best I mean he is the smartest person any of us have ever been around ever seen I mean the stories of him coming in with the, me- the playbook memorized and not only memorized like he has a photographic memory. He could elaborate on the plays. And we're talking about rookie minicamp, like his third day on campus in Indianapolis. He knew the playbook inside and out to the point where my dad was like, what the hell do I do with everybody else? Uh, so what he's going to do with the rest of his life, I- I'm excited to see if he's building buildings as an architect, whatever. I just wish him the best. For, for him to be as tough as he is, and I've talked about it on the show a lot, to get to this point where seven years later when he missed one of those seasons to be able to retire is just sad. I am sad for the NFL community to not be able to watch this kid and this toughness. And you saw all the videos of getting speared and getting knocked out and be like, good hit, man. Like, Who the hell does that? I mean, that's just his personality of this kid that loves to play the game, and that joy was taken away. So I'm sad for him. I'm sad for the NFL community. I'm happy for him. It seems to be at peace with it. Uh, I hope that's actually the case. I'm sure there's going to be some, some looking back, and I'm sure this was a very, very tough decision to make. But the fans that booed him – Shame on you! I'm sure you all had a different reaction 15 or 20 minutes later when you calmed down. Indianapolis is a phenomenal fan base, a great town that I have a ton of respect for. Uh, but you all pissed me off with that one. Anybody that took his jersey off, shame on you. Anybody that booed, shame on you. You don't know what it's like to go into these locker rooms and do this. And people forget about this too. When you're hurt, you're not with your teammates. You're not in practice. You're rehabbing. And it's a lonely experience. And when you're doing that during the season, on top of being with your teammates. And then the offseason when you're, you're rehabbing, and then the year that he missed, it's so hard to put that into context of what that's like and how hard that is. Look, the, the, he gets the, to, for me, he gets the ability to live the rest of his life happy. I hope that's the case. I just wish him the best.
2: Yeah, uh, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, I think everybody on the podcast echoes the exact same statements the reality is this is entertainment people. And I think sometimes people forget that these are human beings we're talking about. And the reaction you saw from the fans, I I have usually had great interactions with Indianapolis Colts fans. So it was kind of a shock to see that reaction. I think like Jake said, 15, 20 minutes later, uh, after they probably emotionally calmed down, I think that that probably would have been a different reaction had the news not broken on Twitter. Um, Obviously not what Andrew Luck wanted. That wasn't the way things were planned. Uh, But as we know, in the NFL community and sports community, uh, very rarely do people get to actually go out the way they want, uh, have the ending that they want. Uh, But I want to ask you guys this, because it is the number one topic in the NFL right now, whether or not you think there is any semblance of a possibility that Andrew Luck comes back. Because he is 29 years old. Well,
0: he's not coming back this year because he'd have to clear waivers. based on. So he's not coming back this year because he couldn't come back to the Colts. Because my guess would be... There would be a couple other teams interested in, in, in claiming Andrew Luck off waivers. Yes. You know, is it possible he gets away from the game for a year, feels healthy, or tries to make a comeback? Sure. I mean, I, without knowing him personally, it's possible. Starts to feel a bit healthy again, you know, kind of gets those feelings. But he might get that and decide, you know what? I, I, I don't want to go through it again. Or yeah. he might get those feelings for a week and then they go away. I guess you never know. Uh, to me, I, I think it would be a disservice for people to hound him. Of Hey, are you coming back? Hey, are you coming back? Hey, are you coming back? I don't think that does anybody or Andrew Luck any good. Uh, but would I like to see him back? Sure. But he knows his body. He knows his situation. He knows how he's feeling mentally. I don't know those things. So whatever decision he makes, not only should we be comfortable with it, we have to be comfortable with it.
1: Yeah, like I said, it's sad because no, he's not coming back. He didn't make this decision lightly. This is not something that was a knee-jerk reaction to him. This was well thought out. Like I said, he's the most cerebral person I've ever met. For him to just come to this decision, it wasn't lightly. He he thought about it a couple years ago with the shoulder when he didn't know if he'd ever throw again. And he had the the most joy he's ever had on a football field, he said, last year playing, to go back to, man, here we go again. This was not a decision that was taken lightly. So, no, I don't think we're ever going to see him on a football field again. That's what makes me sad. The joy that he has playing the game, As I wish more more guys had that much joy while they're doing it.
2: Yeah. No, it's it's definitely a a sad day for the NFL community in general because, obviously, he's one of the all-timers. Could have been one of the best of all time uh, had he played out his entire career. But as everybody has spoken about him who's been around him, great human being, great person, great teammate. You saw T.Y. Hilton's response on social media calling him his best friend. He's going to play this season for him. Uh, and that puts us in a nice transition here to talk about the other pieces on this football team. Hey, Paige, because- Paige
1: before we, I'm to cut you off, before we jump off of that, I, I do want to say Pat McAfee just had a great point on Colin Cowherd's show. And Colin, Colin kind of brought it up and asked Pat, Andrew's too nice. I wish Andrew would have had more asshole two years ago and he would have went into Ryan Grigson's office and said, I'm not playing. You're ruining my career. My shoulder's jacked. We're not very good. I wish he'd have had more Peyton Manning, more Eli Manning more Aaron Rodgers, he was a two-damn-nice, and he, he knew his role as the quarterback on the team was subordinate to the general manager and the head coach. And I wish he wouldn't have because he was at the level of those guys that they dominate their organizations. What they want goes, and I wish he would have had more of that then and early on in his career to, to set things up, to say, I'm not playing behind this offensive line. I'm not going to go out here and just get my spleen ruptured and keep getting killed. I wish he'd have had more of that. I think that would have maybe extended this career longer. I, and Pat, I thought it was a great point that Pat and Colin made talking about that. That's kind of been overlooked. He's too damn nice, and I wish he would have had more asshole in him. Like a lot of those guys that you think are super nice guys, behind the scenes they're running those organizations the way that they want it done, the way that what they want it set up, because you're the quarterback or the CEO. I wish he would have had more of that before we jump off of that.
2: Yeah, Matt Hasselback was on uh, with Trey Wingo and, and Mike Jr. and Mike Sr. this morning uh, on ESPN and, and said similar things. He said, listen, Colts fans, if you want to go boo somebody, why don't you go boo the former GM who ruined Andrew Luck's career? You, you want to talk about, he had Andrew Luck on a rookie contract and did not put an offensive line on the field that could protect his guy. That is his fault. It is not Andrew Luck's fault. If you want to blame somebody... There's plenty of blame to go around, but it ain't Andrew Luck's fault. I can tell you that. This
0: is a cautionary tale. you got yes. a young quarterback in Houston. You've got a young quarterback in Arizona, just to name two examples right yes, there. very good with example. With offensive baby. lines that are not bad, they're dreadful. Yep. And if you want to build your franchise, and we always – we kind of – we used to talk about this a lot on draft day, and it kind of went away. It we talks about building your franchise with a starting left tackle yeah. and building that line on the left side and then kind of going from there. These teams need to start doing that because they're going to throw these dynamic. Just because you can move around in the pocket and outside the pocket doesn't mean you can run a one for your life for your entire career. No. And if this is a cautionary tale, that doesn't matter how good you are, injuries are going to catch up to you eventually. And if you make no concerted effort to keep your quarterback upright and healthy, you're gonna you're gonna shorten their
1: shelf life.
2: Yeah, a cautionary tale, especially when you're talking about. Guys that are much smaller, okay? Mm -hmm. Much, much smaller, but you want to see tough? We'll see how tough you are after you've taken the amount of sacks that Andrew Luck's taken. He's significantly – he's a big guy. Andrew Luck's a big dude. He can take a lot of hits. Kyler Murray behind that offensive line, he's not taking that many hits.
0: And and somewhere David Carr is just nodding in a corner somewhere. Just nodding, (laughs) nodding, nodding.
2: It's it. You know, listen, we are, we all know you need an offensive line, and we will talk about that Houston Texans overall football team because a lot of what happened is it should continue to concern them and whether or not they go get another running back or actually get an offensive lineman who can help protect because they got two rookies starting on the line this year as of right now. Uh, but we'll get in right now to Andrew Luck in and the fallout. T.Y. Hilton, uh, Marlon Mack, Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle, a lot of these guys that we all liked – going into this season, Jamie, I'll go to you first. Where do you evaluate, let's start with T.Y. Hilton, because he's probably the highest level uh, of of a tier from a wide receiver standpoint. Where do you drop him, if any, now that Andrew Luck's no longer a starting quarterback? I drop
0: him a couple spots, but he's kind of in this tier where I don't drop him all the way down. Like, I'm going to probably put Robert Woods above him. Maybe Amari Cooper, kind of depending on that, that foot situation over him. But he's still a clear top 20 wide receiver. He's still a wide receiver, too, for me. I mean, Jacoby Brissett isn't terrible. I think people people have to look at when in 2017 when he got those bunch of starts. If they had some better play calling in the fourth quarter, though that we would talk about Brissett completely differently because they were leading the majority of those games under Brissett going into the fourth quarter. So it's just one of those things where the narrative completely shifts because of how bad the play calling was and because of late game collapses by Indianapolis. He's not Andrew Luck. He's not going to be in that tier. So you have to drop T.Y. Hilton a little bit, but you start to look at that tier of wide receivers that are just like those wide receiver twos. I can't put him down there in like the Tyler Boyd category or the Alshon Jeffries. Like he's still above those players for me. So you may be taking him a half around later than you were before, but I think he has like the least amount of effect of any of the big names that we've talked about so far.
1: Yeah. I had him higher than you. So I have to drop him a little bit farther, but I'm dropping him in the same exact category. You're dropping him in. Jacoby Bursett is beyond a backup quarterback. I mean, that year that he came in, he had two weeks to get ready. They traded for him right before the season. And it's a different, different offense. He now knows he's been in it. He sat behind Andrew Luck and watched it for a year. I, I expect pretty big things. I mean, I, I'm going to drop TY uh, a little bit in the ex- exact same range that you're talking about now. As far as the team goes, I'm going to take two, two and a half wins away from him because I think Andrew Luck is that elite. But I think they can still compete, compete for the division with the deficiencies on the other teams in the division.
2: Yeah, they also have to understand that in 2017, when we saw Jacoby Brissett, that offensive line was bottom five in the NFL. This is a much different looking Colts team, much differently coached team, as Jamie said, schematically. So we don't really know what we're going to see from Jacoby Brissett as much because you can't evaluate 2017's roster and what they had and now what they're doing now. Obviously, he is not Andrew Luck. Otherwise, he would have been the starting quarterback. We know that. But overall... When you look at Jacoby Brissett, let's because we're on this topic. Do you think obviously in a two quarterback league, probably you're gonna have to draft him. Where do you have him ranked now? Because obviously we had Andrew Luck in the top ten. Where's does Jacoby Brissett fall, Jamie?
0: So my rankings are coming out tomorrow, Tuesday on DraftNetwork.com. But little sneak peek, I have him number 24, which okay. which for me is again if you're in a two QB league, he's your second start, low end second starter. Um, not somebody I'm still I'm considering in single quarterback leagues. Just not somebody I think you need to draft. If you're in a league where everybody drafts a backup, I guess then at that point he would be the last quarterback off the board for you, according to my rankings. But uh, again, I think he's gonna be fairly successful, but I think it's gonna be more of a real life success, than I think, fantasy. There's still too many strong quarterbacks, and I can't put him above the the Tom Brady's and the, the you know, even the high upside guys with big risk like Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson. So to me, I just I, I think you grabbing him as a, you're grabbing him right in that, like, uh, the Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford territory. Have him above the Andy Daltons of the world. So that's kind of where you're looking in those low-end QB2s.
1: Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. I mean, he's still the second-best quarterback in the division, in my opinion. I mean, it's, there there is value there, is value there uh, especially week-to-week week when you get into buys and that kind of stuff later. I mean, they're going to run the exact same offense, which is still going to be run first and they're going to play action off of it. That offensive line is good enough. He's going to put up decent numbers. He's going to be, I think, between 18 and 24. So you would probably have him ranked pretty good for right now. But in a two-quarterback lead, I'd love to have him.
2: Yeah, a lot of upside if he's your second quarterback and you can get him in, in that range. And listen, if he does turn out to be any semblance of like a much, a much higher upgrade from where he was in 2017, he could have some serious value. Now, Marlon Mack, this running game, Now a lot of question marks here because people. This is like the the one that I've seen the most discrepancy across the fantasy community about how far he's dropping, whether he's being evaluated higher or lower than he was before. Jamie, where do you have Marlon Mack after this news? I
0: only dropped him a couple spots. I'm not I'm not as worried as everybody else. Yes, he's going to see more stacked fronts, but I think he's also going to get more carries. I agree. So I think that sort of balances out. Again. You want high upside. You want guys that are make dynamic plays, but this is also fantasy. It's a raw numbers game. And if you get that via volume, if you're a Derrick Henry, if you're Leonard Fournette, Leonard Fournette's a volume runner. Yeah. I think he's averaged like three and a half yards of carry in the NFL, but he's a volume runner for you. So it, to me, he's still a top 20 running back. He's a, he's in that mid to low end RB two For me, I'm not really that worried about him.
1: No, I agree. I don't, I don't think I'd drop him at all. I- I mean, teams are going to stack the box until they get torched, and not every team has the ability to stack the box. Andy's uh, defense and their front sevens particularly is still pretty damn solid, and it's all going to go through him now. I don't know that I'd drop him at all. I don't know that his value doesn't increase through this process. If I drafted him in a fantasy league, I'd feel damn good about it. I wouldn't be that worried about it at all.
0: And look, if the, the Colts are up late in a close game, they're going to lean on Marlon Mack since they can't lean on Andrew Luck anymore. Yeah. Lean on the guy Good that point. you know can can run the ball and control the clock. So, to me, I mean, I don't I don't have much of a, an adjustment around him at all.
2: Okay, let's talk about these tight ends, though. Okay, because okay. the fantasy community I saw this morning on CBS Sports, Eric Ebron first headline: Eric Ebron is still a top twelve tight end, nope. right? Uh, we collectively on this podcast, after Jamie so eloquently put in our faces so many times the statistics behind what Jack Doyle was doing when they were both on the field.
0: I got one more for you, Paige. Okay. Do, do you know where Jack Doyle ranked among fantasy tight ends in point per game in 2017 when Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback for most of the season?
2: No, go ahead. Ninth. I knew I knew you'd be prepared. Jack Doyle ain't
0: chopping at all. Jack Doyle's my number ten tight end. He's gonna stay in my number ten tight end. His okay. guy who does not change at all. Brissette showed just as much chemistry with him as Andrew Luck did. Ebron drops a couple more spots for me. He's now down to thirteen, so he's outside of my top twelve. Uh, there's nothing that I'm perfectly fine. Jack Doyle is the one that's least affected out of anybody on the Colts by this in, my, in terms of fantasy value for me. I think he stays exactly where he is before.
1: Well said. Well said. I think Ebron does have some value there because I think if they have any injuries at, at receiver, especially with Funches, I think Ebron's going to move around. But I think Jack Doyle is still the guy. And he, they played together. They had that chemistry. Look, this offense isn't going to change. They're going to call the same plays, whether it's Purset or Andrew Luck. He's 80%, 75% of what Andrew Luck is. That's still pretty damn good. They're not going to change what they're doing. So I don't know that a lot of this value really changes a ton.
2: Okay. Uh, How about the other pieces there? You mentioned Funches, Jamie. uh, Of the other guys on the team that you maybe were thinking about taking a flyer on or getting in some later rounds, what are your overall thoughts on the rest of the offensive pieces?
0: Not much moves. I mean, I I still like Devin Funches as a late pick. I have him on one of my teams. I think he's going to get opportunities in the red zone. Um, Again, that size can only be helped in this situation, I think. I mean, we we weren't expecting Devin Funches to be a major player between the 20s. I think he can have some value there, but that's just not what we expect him to be on the Colts. We expect him to get a lot of value in the red zone. I think he's still gonna have that with him. I agree with Jake where if Fungus gets hurt, Eric Ebron's all of a sudden very interesting again. But I don't know if Fungus is gonna get hurt. I have I've been I've had Paris Campbell off my board for a while now. He's been hurt all offseason and he's a rookie receiver. He's gonna be at best the third or fourth option on this team to start. I like him long term, but for this year, just not somebody I'm drafting. So none of their values really change much for me. A Naeem Hines I guess I drop him a couple spots overall from where you were taking him, but you were taking him so late anyway, because I, I don't know if Brissett is going to be as active with throwing him out of the backfield. Maybe Marlon Max on the field for more third downs now. Uh, so I, I, that one maybe drops a little bit, but you're taking these guys as flyers late. So really don't change where you've been drafting them.
1: Yeah, like I said, not much changes for me at all.
2: Not much changes for Jake at all. All right, before we move on to the Lamar Miller news, just when we look, because we did team totals, our win totals, we looked at these teams, we evaluated this. There's been a lot of movement in Vegas all across the board for this division in general.
0: Okay? Have they put a number on the board for the Colts yet?
2: I believe that they have. Um, I know that last night we were looking at different lines to see where it moved, and I know this morning when I was listening to ESPN, they did show that there was movement mostly on the Jacksonville Jaguars to now, I believe, have, be the favorite in this division to win it all. So. What are, your, what are you? Have, what are your thoughts here? I'll go to Jake first. Now that we know, obviously, we have Lamar Miller and the ACL issue, and Jadavian Clowney not playing in Houston. We have the Andrew Luck fallout and him not being on this team. And you've seen the Nick Foles, DD Westbrook connection in, in Jacksonville Land, and their defense looking pretty good in the preseason. So, where do you evaluate this team overall? Uh, because this division or this division as a whole, because I think there's a lot of question marks. And, I, oh, by the way, I didn't mention the fact that Marcus mariotto has looked terrible. And I think that – I, Ryan, for one, am shocked. And I'm not, I'm not sure Ryan Tannehill won't be the starter by week three. So, Jake, let's talk about that AFC South in general.
1: Eight and eight. Okay. The whole damn division has the ability to be eight and eight, six and ten, ten and six. I, I don't see a clear-cut favorite. I don't see anybody, a uh, reason why that they should be better than anybody else, which is why I think Indianapolis is still in the mix to win that division. Uh, Houston has no back end of their, their secondary, their defense. Clowney's not happy. Uh, if, th- if that defensive line's not healthy, the defense is awful. Their offensive line is terrible. Uh, Indianapolis still has probably the second best defense front seven. T- Tennessee played well last year, but I don't know what you're going to see from them. They have no quarterback play. Uh, Jacksonville probably should be. But Nick Foles is not giving me the warm and fuzzies. D.D. Westbrook is your number one receiver. Uh, Fournette has to stay healthy for that to be the case or that defense could be out there again too much. I see eight and eight. I'm not real sure who I would want to pick to come out of this division right now. If I had to say, okay, I'm giving you my favorite to win it, I'd say Jacksonville, but I'm not very comfortable in that at all.
2: Yeah, you don't sound too convincing. Uh, Jacksonville came out pretty pretty slowly there. Uh, Jamie, you got... Rookie offensive lineman in, in, in Houston, right? That's a huge Rookie customer. and bad. 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 Wide receivers hurt. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, as I said, no running back depth with Lamar Miller out. Uh, there's a lot. Of, Marcus Mariota, as you have said, has continued. He has looked absolutely terrible in the preseason. I mean, absolutely terrible. This division is completely all over the map. I'm with Jake. I think everybody looks like you're an average team, and I'm not sure any of you are all that good. If you had to pick one, where are you leaning right now? Uh,
0: I would lean – I guess I'm leaning Houston, but I think eight wins wins this division. I don't think we have a winning record in this division. There, there are just major – there are major warts everywhere. Um, it, it's tough for me because, you know, to me, if we want to make a value bet here – most of the AFC South is right now off the boards at all the casinos. I just took, I looked again. But whichever one has the best odds to make the playoffs, the best, best odds for betters, the plus whatever, just take them, no matter which team in the division, whatever's the lowest one, because that's, there's, you're going to yeah. get like two and a half or three to one value because they're all going to be within a few games of each other. Jacksonville's defense should be great if they're not on the field a ton. I don't know if Nick Foles is an upgrade yet. That's the problem. They don't have a lot of depth behind Fournette of guys I like. Alfred Blue and Ryko Armstrong. I mean, Raquel Armstead might be a thing. Alfred Blue's not a thing. Um, Jake talked about the receiving core. DJ Chark, Chris Conley, DD Westbrook, a lot of unknowns there. You know, Houston's running back situation is interesting. I think Carlos Hyde ends up there, which doesn't excite me. Um, I don't think we're going to get a Melvin Gordon trade there, uh, even though that would be very interesting. Uh, but again, that line is bad. Uh, the receivers are banged up right now. I mean Hopkins is gonna play. He's just normal banged up, but we're gonna see Fuller come back. Kiki QT's got hurt in the preseason. There are a lot of question marks there. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Colts win this division with eight games, but I I'm not a lot excites me about this. Is this team is this team is losing by two touchdowns to whatever the best wildcard team is.
2: Yeah, this will be – KC or
0: LA, like yeah. whoever doesn't win the AFC East is going to go into one of these places and win by two touchdowns on wildcard weekend.
2: We will definitely be revisiting uh, this division up until kickoff because there's a lot of movement, a lot of changes. As we said and, and Jamie mentioned, you can't even go in and find these wagers yet because Vegas has to evaluate what the hell is going on in this division, right? There is so much changing oh. Uh, and the other big in- thing that happened in this division is that Lamar Miller tore his ACL in the preseason. Uh, the the backups in Houston, uh, it's a lot of names that you will not know. Jamie and I, I think in, the three of us were on the podcast, this is probably three or four weeks ago before Duke Johnson got him traded there. We went through that running back room and read a whole lot of names of a whole lot of nothing. It is not good. There is not a lot of depth there. Thank God for them that they got Duke Johnson mm. in that trade because otherwise this would look really bad right now. How do you evaluate Duke Johnson going forward? Let's start there and then we'll move on.
1: So I basically pretty. That's a great question, Paige. I, I'm dying to hear Jamie's take on this. He went in the seventh round of my draft last night, and I was trying to figure out how high was too high for him. But hell, he's the starter and a three-down back right now and until they make something else happen. Jamie, what what, what is your take on this, and where do you have him? I'm dying to hear this. Well,
0: I basically replaced him where I had Lamar Miller. So I I have him at 62 right now, which means that's the sixth round is when I would feel comfortable taking him. Okay, Uh, He's going to – I do think somebody else ends up there. I don't think it's Melvin Gordon. Obviously, if Melvin Gordon ends up there, we have to completely reevaluate that position because Duke Johnson's time will be limited. But – uh, I do think he's going to get a lot of the carries. He's obviously going to be the third down back no matter what happens. Um, I think a guy like Carlos Hyde could end up there or LaShawn McCoy. But even if they do, they're not taking all the touches there. I think it's going to be a, a time split, and Duke Johnson's going to get the majority of that time split. Uh, I'm fine with him as a flex play. That's kind of where I have him. I have him, ju- I have him right around that 26 27 mark for running backs. Um, probably don't want to measure RB2. Uh, that's probably risking it too much. But as a flex play, I'm perfectly happy with him. He's going to catch passes. They don't have a tight end there, which I think is important because uh, so a lot of fantasy studies have been done and shown that it's actually tight ends that typically take passing targets away from running backs, not receivers. Uh, there's usually not a team that has both 100-target running back and 100-target tight end, I believe is what the, the total was, or 75. So I like him there. I just think somebody else is coming in before the end of camp. A lot, I mean, Buffalo's got a ton of running backs. Carl's Hyde's going to get cut, it looks like. I mean, there's just a lot of options that are going to come in there and take away some targets. But if you want to take him in round seven, I love that. I, I would take him as early as round six right
1: now.
2: Okay. So what we in a in an earlier podcast we had joked about Melvin Gordon, not joked about. We had we had evaluated that a need for running back was in Houston. They had the cap space to make it happen, and that Melvin Gordon potentially going there made sense. Now, stay with me here. This this injury, okay, and this will continue to be a problem because their offensive line is absolutely oh, terrible. So bad. It is terrible. So. If you are running this team, if you are a GM, Jake, I will go to you first. Are you thinking about going and getting Melvin Gordon, or are you taking this, as as Jamie alluded to early, a cautionary tale, and you're trying to go get an offensive lineman because as it sits, you have two rookies starting on that offensive line?
1: Uh, I'm a little bit different than most people, but I'm trading to Javion Clowney for an offensive lineman yep. to start with, and then I'll address the running back situation after that. Uh, if you get rid of Clowney and that cap number of him signing his, his tag value you and their cap space, you have enough ability to go sign Melvin Gordon. I think he's got four or five really good years left in him, so you could give him a you know, sign-and-trade four-year deal, put a bunch of money up there. I think that helps, but Jadavion Clowney's not happy. You're not getting him long-term. He wants out. I'd get what you could, and I would start by getting a veteran tackle. I'd go to the the Eagles and maybe get Corey Clement back in another trade with, uh, with Vitae or whatever his name is, their backup left tackle, um, and get Clowney out. I mean, we've seen that trade, you know, floated out there. Uh, and, and if and Philly has a lot of value placed on Vitae, uh, I would have to go do something like that. I mean, you cannot go into this season with expectations and with Deshaun Watson taking as many sacks as he does, run around extended plays like he does, without having additional offensive linemen. I would have to go build it that way.
2: Yeah, I think that trade makes a lot of sense right? That trade makes a lot of sense for the Houston Texans. Now, just because it makes sense doesn't mean that they're actively going to do that because we saw them uh, address the offensive line position with guys that across the draft community
0: from Alabama state evaluated
2: that they were not even in the near future, the type of guy that could come in and start. And they
0: let let a team jump them and get the guy they wanted. It it,
2: it, it wasn't handled with the type mm -hmm. of pressure you would assume that this team would go into it knowing that you have a young quarterback, knowing that you have this opportunity to protect him. Jamie, what do you see happening here? What do you want to see happening?
0: Melvin Gordon would be down my list of priorities yeah. if, I'm, if I'm the Texans GM. Uh, I think that's window dressing. That doesn't solve the issues that they have. If they can shore up their offensive line, which, again, is much easier said than done at this point in the year. It's already almost September. Way easier said than done with quality options. You can get by with somebody that's going to get cut. You can get by with a Carlos Hyde. You can get by with a LaShawn McCoy. You can get by with a talent like that, along with Duke Johnson, and get through the season. Uh, Melvin Gordon, to me, is do you want to pay him long-term? You know, Do, do you want to hand a, a running back their second contract and pay them a ton? It depends on – to me, I don't want to do that. I don't want to tie up all that money. As so much as I love Melvin Gordon, I think you can get by with those other pieces, especially if you fix the offensive line. If you the argument to do it is that you're really not on the hook for that much longer for Lamar Miller, you know, you, it's not like you're going to be paying two running backs that big money. But even if you had Melvin Gordon to this team, I'm not ready to say they're they're the clear cut favorites. They still have a lot of the other, other issues. Melvin Gordon had a pretty was pretty well blocked for the last couple of years. He will not be in Houston, so what is his value going to be there? I just to me it's it's window dressing to fix the problems you already have. So it might excite the fan base. People might decide that they're the clear cut favorites now and they're going to the Super Bowl and all that stuff. But their team is only going to get incrementally better by trading for Melvin Gordon because their major issues are still going to be there.
2: Because I want to
1: Yeah, Paige, Paige, I got one for you with the draft network guys with Kyle and Joe and the boys. Like, save me your top one hundred that in your number one pick is Tua. We all know that. Give me your top hundred freaking linemen coming out of college. Because you've heard a lot of coaches in the NFL talk about it, BA being one of the most outspoken. How these guys have no clue how to play in the NFL. They've never been in three point stance, they've never been in the huddle. Their fundamentals suck. There aren't enough offensive linemen to go around, and that's why some of these teams are really struggling. And when you get to this point with two weeks to go in the season, unless you are trading for a veteran and you are overpaying that guy, who I'd rather pay overpay than Melvin Gordon, there is just not enough guys to go around. Tell me who the best damn guys coming out next year are. Let's see who the best scout of the Draft Network guys are of getting offensive linemen that are ready to play in the NFL. Don't tell me six six three twenty and he ran a four eight. I don't give a damn. There is a bunch of those guys. How many of them will knock you on your ass and can play football? Yeah. How many of them are a guy from Notre Dame that went to the Colts, who was maybe the best player in football last year, the seventh overall pick, and maybe the best value pick of the draft? Like, I want to know who those guys yeah,
2: are. Yeah, Nelson. Unbelievable. If I, yes. if I was voting, I would have voted for rookie of the year. Like, I like, unbe- Like as far as you come in and you eva- and you completely change the game, I know it's not sexy because it's an offensive lineman, but the reality is the sexy position, the quarterback, needs these guys, yeah. right? And, and, and Jake brings up a great point, so – it's a good time for me to tease the fact that the draft network will have every position evaluated and their top guys, right? So you're going to have interior offensive linemen that you can go in and they're going to give you their top guys and their boards are going to be out throughout this, throughout this process. So check out this week on the draft network, because if you're a team, let's say you're a Houston Texans fan, right? Or you're an Arizona Cardinal fan and your long-term future is a young quarterback who needs protecting. Guess what? You better start looking at who the best linemen are now and who are going to come out because that's what your team needs, right? And, and Jake said it. Bruce Arians said there aren't enough of these guys. He's not the only one talking about it. There just aren't enough of these guys. There aren't enough quality starters in the offense in, in this position, and this has become a major, major issue for the NFL. Because if you are a Texans fan, if you are a Deshaun Watson owner in a in a dynasty league, right? Your worst case scenario is watching what's been happening over the last couple of weeks because they haven't upgraded this offensive line at all. It,
0: it, it's one of the things that illustrates the major difference. College football and the NFL are two different games, whether yes. people want to admit it or not. Right now, they are two completely different games. And I know the NFL has adjusted in a sense of, you know, everybody's in the shotgun now. There's, some, there's more read option. But you watch these players in college, both on the line, quarterbacks in particular. I mean, the quarterbacks go through their entire college career with only looking at half the field. Like, and because they can get away with it. Yeah. And because you, there is such a talent discrepancy in college football, you can get away with raw talent. Then you come to the NFL and everybody has that talent. And, and you hear you hear that narrative so much, but it's because it's true. And you have a lot of offensive linemen. You have a lot of quarterbacks. You have receivers that run two routes in college. You have, you know, you have running backs who don't know how to find the holes. They just, they just use their speed to go quick. And they get to the NFL and they're like, oh, how do I do this? And now you have such a limited amount of practice time they they can't get up to speed and look we're, we're I don't know if we're ever going to get a developmental league in the NFL. I don't know if we're ever going to get to that point. But this would be one of the reasons for that. To you that you could take raw talent and teach them the game before they have to go up against top competition. Because now you throw these kids right in there and they don't have And they're going time. up against JJ Watt or Aaron Donald. I yeah. guess what happens?
1: They get their ass kicked.
2: Yeah. As as
1: and so does your quarterback, and so do your chances of being good. No,
2: it's a, it's a major issue across the NFL landscape, and I'm with Jamie. I've been waiting for what is logical, right, what is a developmental league where there is an opportunity for guys who are maybe not ready but they have the talent to get out there for college coaches to start coaching up some of these guys, right? You saw, you've saw, you seen certain programs, right? You've seen certain programs go, okay, I know that this is the what we need to do. If you see the University of Wisconsin's offensive line, they are bigger than the average NFL line. They, yes. they, they are legitimately, I am not joking, Monsters. They are, they are by definition bigger than the NFL's offensive line than the average guys. They run the football and it does not matter who is behind them, and they create these unbelievable guys who some have come into the NFL and done really well from a running back standpoint, and some of them haven't, and that's because guess what? When you got to the NFL, they weren't running behind the Wisconsin offensive line anymore. It's very very difficult and there's
1: And half of those linemen don't work out in the NFL. Some of them have been phenomenal Joe Thomas and some of them have been exactly terrible.
2: right, but there are certain programs who have made it a Notre Dame, for instance. Have, yes.
1: Have, and that and that coach and is now. coaches
2: now in Chicago, where they decided, "Hey, we want this guy to come back and we want the offensive line because we have a young quarterback to be a point of emphasis for this team, but Jake is right. We could go on a tangent forever on this because there aren't enough offensive linemen. But I do want to get into preseason takeaways because there were quite a few games. There was a lot of starting quarterbacks, starting offenses, starting defense that we did see. We didn't, there were some teams we did not see, but there were plenty that we did. Uh, And I want to start off with Sunday Night Football and, and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tennessee Titans. I obviously alluded to the fact that Marcus Mariota has looked terrible, but I want to be serious for a second because I'm not, I, we joke about how we don't like Marcus Mariota, great human, bad football player. I I just, I'm, I'm with Jamie now. I used to try and say, eh, I think we got to wait it out. I think I've seen enough. And I think I've seen enough of Ryan Tannehill to see that that team is a significantly better team with Ryan Tannehill on the field. I also like Corey Davis and all the positions, all their offensive pieces, a lot more if Tannehill gets the job. Jamie, do you see this team making the switch early on, and what will it take to to move on from Marcus Mariota?
0: Well, I, I, I do think it's going to happen, but I do think it's going to be a mild to moderate injury that causes it. I, I don't think they're going to – if they pull Mariota from the game, I think it's going to be, in the post-game press conference, a mysterious – either some mysterious ailment. They're going to protect Marcus Mariota because he's a great guy. Yep. But they also have to protect their franchise. And if I'm Mike Vrabel, I think my team has a chance to win this division. Because they do. Not that they're that great, but that's the division is bad, and that defense can win them enough games like it did last year. You have to protect your team. And right now, Ryan Tannehill probably gives them a better chance to win. But long term, they need another option there. And despite Gil Brandt coming out and saying this was the most enviable quarterback situation in the NFL, it's one of the least enviable. I don't know what I don't know what he was smoking when he wrote that article. This this is bad. They're gonna their issue is going to be they're not bad enough that they're gonna get one of these top quarterbacks unless they trade up unless they give up the farm to do that. They're gonna have to figure out what their future is at running back whether it's gonna be Derrick Henry and they're gonna sign him long term or whether they're gonna go out and get somebody else. This offense needs to be the skill positions on this offensive team outside of wide receiver. You've committed to Corey Davis. You've got AJ Brown. uh, You signed Adam Humphries to a big deal, so you're kind of locked in at that position, but. At quarterback, at running back, you're going to have to look at what your long-term is of both those positions. And I don't know if they're going to be a team that's in on a guy in this draft. I don't know if this is going to be a team that's in on a guy, let's say, like Alex Smith, if he is healthy and ready to play next season. If that's a guy, they say, you know what, we just need someone that can not lose us games. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be, but they're going to have to look at that position long-term if they're going to be anything more than a wild-card bubble team.
1: Yeah, Alex Smith is a poor man, or Tannehill is a poor man's Alex Smith. Um, I agree with you that they they look at it as they they can win the division. And the thing with me is I don't think there has to be any injury. I don't know that he starts week one. Vrabel and Robinson didn't draft Mariota. There's not, he's in the last year of his deal. There's not a whole, like, there's not all this pressure that we have to play this dude. They think, okay, this division's up for grabs even more so now with Andrew Luck retiring. We're going to play the best guy that gives us a chance to win. I don't think they're getting, you know, heat from upper management that Mariota has to be the guy and there needs to be a mysterious toe injury that, Tannehill comes in, and hopefully Tannehill looks better. I think whoever wins this, this this position starts week one, and it wouldn't surprise me if it is Tannehill. Um, either way, they're not going anywhere, and the other team that played in that game looked pretty damn good. They were flying under the radar, and now they're not, and I'm not going to overreact that they looked that great, but everything that we've talked about on this show with the Pittsburgh Steelers kind of came to fruition. Juju looked like a number one. James Washington looked like a number two. They're going to be okay. Their defense looked better. They looked more the three-four blitzing style that we've seen in the past, and not so much going back and forth. Uh, and I'm going to jump to the next one. That my big take from preseason game number three is the Browns' offensive line could cost them all of this damn expectations because they look like horse whatever. And Baker Mayfield didn't look much better than their offensive line. Uh-huh. Now, they're playing Tampa Bay's defense, which is supposed to be the worst in the NFL. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, they're not going to be. Todd Bowles is way too damn good at his job for that. Their offensive line sucked. Baker Mayfield was under 50% and saved me the crap that OBJ and Landry were on the field. He had open guys. He didn't hit them. Uh, look. They have all this hype and all this expectation. And going back to our talk about offensive linemen, you know how you score points in the NFL? It's not superstar receivers. It's your quarterback standing upright and having guys it's open. It's a damn shame, Joe. That comes with the that comes with the offensive absolutely, and their offensive line is bad. And I think it could cost them the division and maybe yeah, the I mean, playoffs. It's
0: a damn shame Joe Thomas isn't on this team.
2: Yeah, no, it really it's, is given
0: I, given all the crap.
1: It really, it really it is. is.
2: I, I feel for him, uh, but he seems like he's doing pretty well. So I, I won't I won't uh, lay into him too much. Uh, I want to overreact to the Pittsburgh.
1: But look, Baker deserves criticism here. He was terrible. It wasn't all that he had that I much pressure. A butter- He he looked unenthused, and I'm not going to say, okay, I saw enough in that game that I think he's going to have a bad year. But he played at a really high level last year with a lot of like, I'm just going to wing it, and it doesn't matter. Kind of like Deshaun Watson as a rookie. He had nothing to lose but to just throw it. Baker had the same thing. He has a ton of pressure and expectations now. He did not look sharp. He looked unenthused. Their offensive line looked bad. they They have some problems. Now, on the flip side, their front seven looked ridiculously good. But they have some deficiencies in this team to be talking about Super Bowl. People that talk about how good they are on paper haven't looked at the starting five offensive so line.
2: Here's, here's, what I, here's where I get to over it at, right? Because, because I picked the Steelers to win the division. And after all that I've seen, I feel even more confident, right? Because, one, the distractions in Pittsburgh are gone, period, end of sentence, Big Ben looked great. Juju sang his praises all over national TV for everyone to hear, including Big Ben, right? The team has great chemistry. You saw the reaction when the third string quarterback, Josh Dobbs, threw a touchdown, and Juju's losing his mind with Michelle Tafoya on television. This overall, this team looks very good. And, and their defense looked good. Their offense looked very good. They had it all put together. Now, I know it's preseason, but in totality – the conversation that I had last night was the Browns currently on the action network. I was looking at their line. Their win total is nine and a half and Pittsburgh is nine. The whole room was like, I like the Browns under and I like the Steelers over because I like the Steelers winning this division. They may have come out of the radar a little bit, but I still think that all the conversation is around the Cleveland Browns still. And I'm with Jake. You have to understand that last year, Baker in a bubble, Right. There were no expectations. That team winning a football game was a big deal. Now, the conversation is around winning the division and winning the Super Bowl, and that creates a lot of a different environment for your quarterback. Jamie, what were your preseason takeaways, and do you agree or disagree with what where the conversation I mean, is? I mean,
0: we've, we've all been high on the Steelers. I think they're both double-digit win teams. Okay. Um So, nothing last night really changed my opinion too much. The whole world's been too low on the Steelers, except us. I mean, yeah, and, and a few other people that have talked about it as well, but... Uh, they've overrated the people that have been lost and, and have maybe underrated the the difference from the human side and from the emotional side and from the locker room side. You watch the way the Steelers play they're They're not acting Steeler-like. And what I mean by that is this is not very corporate. This this felt like a corporate team at times last couple of years. that they were going to be like, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do it. They're having fun. They're loose. They're playing like they have nothing. They're playing without worry. This is, a, this is a completely different team, and this has have a lot more talent on defense than they've had in previous years. That defense is going to step up this year. They've got playmakers. Yes, they're not going to be as dynamic offensively as they were the previous seasons, but they might not have to be, and I don't think they're going to have to be. I'm really excited to see them this year. And by the way, they're very much a Super Bowl contender. Whether people want to talk about them or not, or they're sick of the Steelers or not, they are very much a Super Bowl contender.
2: I am so excited for Week 1. Week 1. Pittsburgh, New England, that team on Sunday night, it's, that is going to be a hell of a opening test for this team. And the conversation around that team could change completely if Pittsburgh plays the way that I think they could play. And I think that's a great evaluation, Jamie. I didn't even think about That is true. A lot of times they felt very buttoned up, yes. right? Everything felt very corporate, And I yes. think that's a great evaluation that last night you saw on national TV in the only preseason game that mattered – that team looked loose. They looked like they were having fun. Everything that happened with Daryl Drake and his passing has brought that team together. They've rallied around Ben. They've rallied around Juju as a leader, and I think that's going to be a great thing for this team long term. It's,
0: it's been all off season. Think of the, the boat, uh, the lake house stuff with Ben. Yep. Think of the way that Ryan Switzer and Juju have interacted on Twitter. Think about the way that teammates are, are Snapchatting Juju talk, uh, with fans. You know, think about the way you know Devin Bush has been talked about. I mean. You look at everything that's gone through this offseason, it's a team that just feels like they've had the weight of the world lifted off their shoulders and they're still not have 95% of the talent they had last year. So now all of a sudden
1: Jamie, that was one of the that was one of the best analysis I've ever heard of feeling corporate because until you said it, I couldn't put my finger on exactly how it felt. And that was spot on, dude. Like that was it felt like a message from the Rooney family of this is how the Steelers do it, this is how we're going to do it and whatever. And it felt buttoned up in corporate. I think the greatest thing for the Steelers moving forward... Let me tell you something about the Steelers. Their goal is not to win the division. If they win the AFC Championship, they get a watch. They don't get rings in Pittsburgh unless they win the freaking Super Bowl. Okay? The best thing that can happen for the Steelers is Juju Smith-Schuster's youthful enthusiasm taking over football and making it fun for guys like Ben. Guys like Cam Hayward that have been through the battles and have been there. That youthful enthusiasm... With a chip on their shoulder of nobody's, we're the Steelers, but everybody's counting us out. Dude, that could go a long way. That was absolutely spot on analysis. I love that analogy.
2: Youthful enthusiasm is a way that although Tom Brady is not youthful, it's that same type of manufactured storyline that I think is going on in Pittsburgh. It's also the same type of enthusiasm that Tom Brady brings into that locker room. Each and every year, it's a he's he is youthful. He comes into that and he is so excited, like it is the first time that he's played football. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody with that same type of enthusiasm, like he's having the best time of his life, other than Juju. Juju yeah. approaches football in the same way. You see him when he is on the sideline when he is playing football. It looks like it is the best goddamn day of his life every single time you see him.
1: <laughs>
2: Look, that is exactly what it does.
1: Looks- it's, it's, infectious. it's infectious
2: and it affects the locker room because now guess what? Antonio Brown and all that drama is gone. Le'Veon Bell and all his drama is gone. And everything that Juju has done is exactly what should have been done probably for a long time, which is we know the quarterback is the most important position. We know that Ben runs this organization and Juju knows that better than anybody. He's playing the game exactly how he should. And I think that team, like Jamie said, is not a, is not a, contender for that division. They are a Super Bowl contender, period, end of sentence. Uh, last preseason takeaways before I get into these three trends that you guys have no idea that I'm going to throw at you. So any other preseason takeaways, uh, Jake, you first.
1: I'm just going to go back to that same game and go, uh, there are those two games, the Browns and the Steelers. It's not an overreaction because the Steelers look like they, they're supposed to, and the Browns didn't and I know they didn't have all of their guys, but it's preseason game three. Your starting quarterback played the entire first half. You want to see what you're expecting to see in week one. The Browns didn't get it. They looked bad, and the Steelers looked really freaking sharp and really freaking good and really freaking loose. So I don't think it is an overreaction to say, okay – Here's where we got going into week one. So that, that's that's kind of my last take was to go back to that. I, I really don't. The more we talk about it, the more I don't think it's an overreaction either way.
0: I, I like again. It was only one run, but that was a fun run by Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I think it you, was. You, you want you look at the
1: talent level. Yes, he buddy.
0: He's just gonna stay healthy. And he's gonna have a monster, monster season.
2: I was surprised we didn't get that one from Jake because I knew he's excited about Dalvin Cook. But yeah, he looked uh, he looked pretty damn good uh, in, in what we saw from uh, from from the young guy. Okay, guys, these are three trends, okay? So how this works is CBS evaluated over the weekend a lot of different drafts that were happening and three different trends that had started to change on ADP players going earlier. So they they looked at them, and I wanted to bring them to you guys and see what your thoughts are. So one trend that happened a lot over the weekend, one player played really good in the preseason, one guy's quarterback retired. Dee Westbrook over T.Y. Hilton started to happen in a lot of drafts. Jamie's face is amazing, so I'm going to him first. What are your Uh, thoughts on
1: that? I'm guessing
0: it looks Uh, like mine. No. (laughs) I I mean, those guys are like 30-plus wide receivers apart. In my rankings like that, yeah. that's just not even uh, we're talking about guys that are going in the middle rounds versus a guy you take with your final pick before you get to kickers and defenses. Uh, look, I, there's some upside in D.D. Westbrook, but it's, he's a flyer just like everybody else outside the top, like 35 wide receivers. Uh, so I, I'm not all that, you know, I, I know he used to be the best route runner on the team, all, all the fun stuff. I don't care. T.Y. Hilton is still a, a bona fide wide receiver too, with no questions asked. We're hoping the best-case scenario is for D.D. Westbrook is probably the worst-case non-injury scenario for T.Y. Hilton.
2: Yeah, I am in total agreement. Jake, uh, I'm guessing you probably feel the same.
1: One I want on my team and one I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Period. (laughs) I'll take T.Y. Hilton in the third round. I'll take him wherever he's left after that. I don't want D.D. Westbrook on my team. Period. Nick Foles is his quarterback. If Andrew Luck doesn't retire, T.Y. Hilton is a Hall of Famer. If you think I'm crazy, go look up the numbers to start his damn career. He is spectacular. He is a phenomenal football player. He still is a phenomenal football player. He's a different guy throwing him the football. His value dropped a little bit we talked about. it. I want him on my team, especially if he ends up being a flex or a wide receiver two for you. That's spectacular. D.D. Westbrook has no place on my team unless I'm looking for a waiver guy later on in the year and i got to fill something for like a bye week. That's it, period. That is an insanity, but that is what have you done for me lately, NFL Media and everything uh, yeah. else.
2: So I had a feeling you guys would both react that way. Uh, I thought it was very entertaining mm-hmm. to see that uh, one preseason outing with DD Westbrook and a touchdown from Nick Foles. All of a sudden.
1: A better question is Will Fuller or DD Westbrook?
0: Yeah, or, or who's going to be number one?
1: Not freaking T. I hope. number
0: one in Jacksonville? I mean, DJ Chark has looked good. So Chris Conley, yeah, like, like, like I don't, I'm don't. i not ready to say DD Westbrook's going to be the guy there yet. We don't know. And he also has a long injury history. Also, Marquise Lee.
1: Or even Kiki Cutie and then Didi Westbrook. Like that's a yeah. – white Hilton. Come on, people like that's I
2: uh I had a feeling you guys would react that way, which is why I brought it up. Also to help the fellow draftees this week not make a bad decision like apparently many other people did. Uh Duke Johnson over Marlon Mack. Jake, you first. Uh your thoughts, Duke Johnson over Marlon Mack.
1: Again, almost insanity, not as bad as the last one, but Marlon Mack is going in the second round of every draft. If he slips to the third, snatch him up and love your team. Duke Johnson, I asked Jamie because he went in the seventh round of my league last night. I had him. I was like, I'll take him if he's there in the eighth. And I was looking for him, and I didn't realize somebody had taken him in the seventh because I didn't think anybody else would really be on it that high. To take him in the sixth, there's a place for him. I'd love to have him as a flex, but there's going to be two or three other running backs added to this team. If it's not by week one, it will be by week three. His load is not going to be a star three down running back, so there's a place for him on your team. But over Marlon Mack, come on, man, that's just—it's
0: it's nuts. I mean, I have him about ten spots apart among running backs, not in overall among running backs. Um, you no, know, there, there's uh, people always do this; they always overreact to the negative, and they un, and they overreact to the negative and overreact to the positive. We see this on the team level too. Where everyone's going to overreact to all the Browns players and underreact to a team like the Dolphins, and I get it, but there's still fantasy value to be had there. Marlon Mack doesn't drop that much. Like, I, I, I'm not sure what people think are going to happen. They're not going to put 11 guys in the box. Like I, I like I, Jacoby Brissett's competent. they they're they're not putting. I don't know Brandon Whedon out there. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what people think Jacoby Brissett is. We've seen him with this Colts team, and by the way, he's had more time to learn. It's a better system. There's more talent than the last time he was on the field. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why people are just assuming this team is going to be a three win team in Indianapolis. It just it makes no
1: sense to me. In a
2: division
1: that's a- Are they putting eleven? Are they putting eleven people in the box against Nick Foles? Because you're not even better than Jacoby Brissett. Uh,
2: no, I I'm with you. I am with you. This is what we're talking about, because I knew you guys guys would have good feedback. All right, the last one is Matt Breda over Tevin Coleman. A lot of the reaction to what happened in the last preseason
1: game. One catch. A
2: lot of a reaction to what happened in the last preseason game with the amount of touches, what they did with those touches, uh, and certain things you're hearing out of the 49ers camp. Jamie, your thoughts.
0: I can't do that. I, I believe in Tevin Coleman. I believe yeah. in his role in this offense. Kyle Shanahan has used him before in Atlanta. We already, again, this is usually you say, oh, this is a new running back, new coach. We don't no, we know. We know we've we seen this before. Um, look, Matt Buita had some success last year, but I, I think his he's fast. But I think that is the biggest thing. Nice thing I could say about Matt Burita. I don't think he's a premier running back. He's got great speed uh he you know he has a role in this team i think both backs are going to have a role but i think tevin coleman's going to be a lot safer none of these guys are anything more than i mean low-end flex plays for me right now uh, but i would definitely still take coleman over breeder
1: yeah if you like running back share then pick your guy it's going to be 60 40 and it's going to be coleman they brought him in for a reason because kyle shanahan had him in atlanta they know him he's now a veteran guy he's the starter Breida has a role in the offense. He's going to play a lot. And don't overreact because he had one nice catch against a bad Chiefs defense for a touchdown. Come on. Like, this is – it's people watch highlights, and they go, holy crap, Matt Breida had that. Do you see that that touchdown? I'm drafting him in the third round. Slow down. Yes, Tevin Coleman didn't do much in the same game, but he had more carries. He's the starter. But they're, they're not that far apart for me because I don't like backs that are, you're getting all of this timeshare. They're both going to be on the field a ton.
2: I, I think this is uh, this is actually one of my favorite shows we've done in the preseason. There was so much news to get into, and the reality is everything that happened had such big fantasy implications, right? Across the board, the injuries, the retirement, the evaluation of the players, the totality of that AFC South division and where they're going to end up and what they're going to look like. Uh, like I said earlier on, we will definitely revisit That division, we will talk about when we have actual lines, we will look at it, we will update it throughout this time period. I know we're going to look back at the NFL lines now that we have different information than we did six weeks ago. Um, But we're definitely going to pay extra special attention to that division as there is a lot up in the air. Uh, Jake, any parting thoughts on today's podcast?
1: Yeah, it was fun. I can't wait to get to week one, this uh, this damn preseason. I, I agree with everybody that says it should be shortened because it's driving me crazy at this point. I'm ready as to kick this thing off.
0: And one other thing to note, the NFL is getting away from week three preseason being the quote-unquote dress rehearsal. Yes. There are some teams that are using it that way. Most teams are not. Some teams aren't even pretending, like the Rams. Like, yeah, we don't care. We're not playing any starters. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're. I think there's. it's an archaic view to say, well, week three is the best representation of what this team's going to look like in week one of the regular season. I think we are so far removed from that, uh, and we have been for a couple of years now. So, again, don't oh, again. We, we talked about this last week or on our mailbag show, and yeah. it, we asked whether or not people overreacted to the preseason. I say it's yes and no. Look at the overall, training camp and preseason overall, big picture. Take a step back. Is there a trend that has been going for weeks and weeks and weeks? Not for one day, not for one game, not for one play. But for weeks and weeks. Those are the trends you say, okay, I need to start paying attention to this because somebody has been dominating or has been struggling or whatever it is or hurt from the start of camp to the start of the regular season. Then you have to start to care. One big game, one big thing, it shouldn't change your mind because it's not changing the minds of anybody making decisions for actual NFL teams.
1: Yeah, I will address that. I think you're right and I think you're wrong. I think. It still is the best representation of what you're liable to see in week one, but you can't overreact from one half of preseason game number three. What you can get is teams like the Rams, who have the same offense, same defense, same offense coordinator, same defense coordinator, same head coach, same players. They don't need much. You know what you're going to see in week one. They just want to be healthy. When you have new coaching staffs, new offenses, new defense, new players, you can gauge a little bit more. Now, it's still not a great representation. I don't know that it's totally archaic because it's still your best evaluation of what you can expect to see in week one. The teams that actually play their guys versus the ones that don't, you have a better view of what's going to happen. But you're exactly right. Go back to OTAs. How healthy is a team coming out of training camp? Are they getting guys back that they've been counting on for six weeks and they have one week to get ready for the, for the regular season? That stuff is a lot more of an indicator if you want to dive deeper than what you see in week three. So I agree and disagree at the same time. But the teams that are healthy and the guys that they're counting on and you've seen a little bit of them in preseason games. I still think you get a little bit better of an yeah, evaluation of the team. You that don't
2: use it as that full dress rehearsal. And there's certain ones that don't, uh, as we've seen. The Pittsburgh Steelers put their full offense out there to show. And once they had one drive, one touchdown, one two point conversion attempt, the Mike Tomlin said, "Yeah, I think I've seen enough." Right. And, and then and then you saw Mason Rudolph come in and and light it up as well. So I, I think there are certain teams you can glean stuff in. But like Jamie said. You look across the board, you look for themes and trends that have lasted six weeks, eight weeks, right? They started in OTAs, they've continued throughout this preseason and this summer, and there are themes going into the regular season that you have to pay attention to. Jake, how can health, health should health be the should biggest definitely theme. be the biggest theme? How can everybody follow you on social media, Jake?
1: Jake B. Arians on Twitter and Jake you can Arians me on Instagram. At
0: Jamie Eisner on Twitter and at Jay Eisner FFB on Instagram.
2: And you guys can follow me at the underscore sports page with an eye on both Twitter and Instagram. You should follow the show at TDNFantasy underscore at TDNFantasy on Instagram. Please continue to send us questions as I know a lot of you are drafting this week and make sure you check the updated rankings tomorrow morning on the draftnetwork.com.